G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This passage is trying to tell you that you are Jesus' inheritance. And because you are, he'll put up with so much to get you. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we're exploring how Jesus makes us decide either to follow him wholeheartedly or to live without him. Jesus gave those two options to the people of Jerusalem, to either crown or kill him. Every single one of us in this room is guilty because when God doesn't give us what we want, if we've not said, come in Jesus and come in Lord, we'll rebel. This is Today with Jeff Vines, as we conclude, crown or kill. In other words, if you're a Christian and you said, come in Jesus, and then your life doesn't turn out the way you plan and things aren't going like you hoped they would go, at that point, you determine which direction you're going to go, and it's going to be determined by how much of Jesus you invited in. If you just invited in Jesus as Savior, then the chances are when the rubber hits the road and your life's falling apart, you're going to walk away, and you're going to say things like, well, what good is Jesus? I mean... I thought he was going to help me. I thought he was going to give me everything that I wanted. But what really happened is somewhere back in the past, you said, come in, Savior, stay out, Master of the universe. But many people choose the other road. And then midst of trial and tragedy, they actually get stronger in their faith. And they go the other way. And the reason they respond that way is because they said, come in, Jesus, and come in, Lord. You're the master of my life. Every day, every minute, every second of my life belongs to you. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem and parks it right in the front yard of the establishment, he said, okay, here I am, crown me or kill me, but how dare you like me? Do not like me. The point is, in everyone's life, Jesus will force the issue. He is going to push the envelope on you. He is not going to let you just like him. He's going to make you decide, is he really the Lord and master of my life? So he's going to present you with very difficult situations where you got to choose to obey and to trust or to go the way that you really want to go all along. Jesus would say to some of you, am I Lord of your... Now, he's patient, a lot more patient than we can ever imagine, long-suffering. But some of you, he would say, stop whining, man. Am I the Lord of your life or not? And if I'm the Lord of your life, then you know that I work everything together for good and I got this. I'm on top of this. Stop whining and trust me. Now, he would never say that because he's just a gracious God. But I wonder sometimes if he would like to. I mean, would he just like to? Jeff, stop it. Okay, I got it. Do you trust me or not? Because if you don't, you're going to fight me all of your life. There's a passage in James with which most of us are familiar Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, testing of your faith, testing of your faith, test, 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 you're going to be tested. It's going to happen. It's going to come. And then it's going to reveal who you truly are. Jesus triumphal. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. I know I'm belaboring this point. He's trying to get you to see, okay, here I am. 
Crown me the king of your life or kill me. Give everything to me or give nothing. Be all in or not in at all. How dare you like me? Do one or the other, because at least then I know that you're listening and you understand what I require. By the way, when you just like Jesus, when you just make him come in, save you, stay out, Lord, guess what you, guess what, you're fickle. Because the same people in this story who are saying, Hosanna, save us, he who comes in the name of the Lord, rescue us, will be shouting, crucify him, crucify in about 10 days. See, because if Jesus doesn't give you what you want, what do they want? They want a conquering Messiah. They want somebody to come in and rescue them from the Romans. When they realize Jesus isn't going to do that, <laughs> kill him. Jesus will force the issue. So triumphal entry, face to face. Let's say it together. One face to face. One, two, three. Face to face. Crown me or kill me. Crown me or kill me. And then two, side by side. Here's the second part. Uh, I love to see photos of husbands and wives, one wife per husband, walking down <laughs> and holding hands. I love to see that. When, as a matter of fact, when we first started our church in New Zealand, uh, I, I drew up this promo and I took a picture of Delaney and Sion walking hand in hand. And then the, the caption read, the journey home begins with your heart. I like to see the side-by-side, -side, you know, even the, the Bible's word for Holy Spirit, parakletos, is a word that means one who comes alongside, side-by-side. -side. But I really love to see old people, old people hand-in-hand. -hand. I love to see uh, an intimacy among the elderly. And here's why, as you get older, I'm going to just be honest with you here, as you get older, when you see that, somebody's been married that long, you know the hell that they've been through to get there. <laughs> Marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work. I mean, for those of you who think there's no way you're ever going to be happy until you're married, you've never been married. That's true. But your happiness doesn't come within the first few years, does it? It comes after you've done the hard work of what giving and taking and sacrifice. And then if you meet an older married couple, they are in marital bliss. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to come into you in your heart. We're going to live this thing side by side. Now, Here's what's interesting about this passage. When Jesus comes riding in the donkey, 200 years before this event, Simon Maccabeus had defeated foreign armies and kept Israel independent. He rode into Jerusalem 200 years before this event, the triumphal entry. He rides in to shouting cheers, to waving palm branches, and they're shouting, deliver us, Hosanna, victory and deliverance. So... I want you to see what's happening in this passage. It's satirical. Dude, when you ride in in victory, you don't ride no donkey. You ride a steed and chariot and horses. This, this, this is downright humorous. Here comes, the, here comes the conquering king, his little animal. <laughs> He's on, a, he's on a, a baby donkey. Uh, uh, Mark and John tell us one that has never been ridden before. So it's not been broken. And you're riding this donkey into a big crowd. What's that donkey going to do? Oh man, it's going to go berserk. And Jesus chooses this little donkey. Everything he does though, metaphorical. And when Jesus rides in on this baby animal, visually, he's deliberately communicating something that fulfills scripture. He's saying, yes, I am the king, but I'm not the kind of king you think. I'm not going to triumph through force. I'm going to triumph through weakness. And everyone who follows me will do the same.
Hosanna, save us, save us. I will, but not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. I'm going to triumph through weakness. People who struggle with the kingdom of God don't get this. It's hard to get. Because in your mind, you've got this thundering Messiah on your side, and you're wondering why your life's the way it is. You're not alone in that. John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Heard the voice of God, we're assuming. And then he's in prison, and they're about to behead him. And he sends a message to Jesus. What does he say? Are you the one? What? Dude, you were there. You even said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of... What, were you just faking it? What's John the Baptist's problem? Well, if you're the one, why am I in prison? Why haven't you sent down some thunder, an earthquake, shake these prison bars, and get me out of here? That's his question. And those who see the kingdom of God like this, they see Jesus as Hulk Hogan, who takes all your problems in the ring of life, ties them up, and kicks them out. And when he doesn't do that, because you said, come in Jesus, stay out Christ, you say, what good is Jesus? And you bail. I've been writing this atheist in Australia. Our radio program's just taken off there. Over 800 radio stations now, two times every day, called uh, Today with Jeff Vines. So I'm getting a lot of letters and emails from atheists. There's one guy that I'm engaging in, I want you to hear, I want you to listen to his email. Okay? These are the kinds I get. I'll leave out the bad language. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. On the news today, a woman that survived being raped told her story. She was kidnapped by the Muslim caliphate. I'm saying it the way he writes it. Including her five-year-old daughter. While the mother was being held down and being raped, the five-year-old daughter tried to help her mother. And for her trouble, she had her throat slit and died. Question, Jeff. Was God and Jesus watching this unfold? And apparently did nothing. The five-year-old daughter had the moral character to do the right thing, even though it cost her her life. What does this say about your Jesus and his morals? Jesus should take a lesson from this child who has real love. Okay. A couple things. Number one, Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. And the idea of laying down your life for someone didn't even come into being until Christ. To lay down your life for a friend was instituted by the Christian movement. Two, what would you want God to do? Do you want him to stop every potential evil from happening in the world? Then he's got to remove you too. See, you categorize evil, what is really bad and what is not so bad, but God sees evil as evil. And every time you and I wound someone, every time you and I gossip, slander, every time we treat someone with, with malice, every time... We violate someone that's been created in the image of God in the eyes of God. That's evil. So if you want God to remove all potential evil from the world, there'll be nobody left. But delayed justice is not the same thing as no justice. God says justice one day will roll like a river. And we will all stand before God and give an account for the manner in which we've lived our lives. But there's another problem there, isn't there? If there's no God, there's no problem with a woman and a girl being raped and abused. You have to resolve this issue in the context of God, not outside. Right? I mean, if there's no God, then aren't we all just part of random process? Isn't it the survival of the fittest and the weak won't survive? And that nature is red in tooth and claw? And when people die, 
It's just nature ridding us of the weak gene pool so that we can go from strength to strength. So what's the problem? The reason this man's upset is because he's given something to this lady and woman. It's called intrinsic value. There's a sacredness to life, but you only get that if God exists. So you have to resolve the problem of evil within the context of God, not outside. But the bigger issue is this. Every single one of us in this room is guilty because when God doesn't give us what we want, if we've not said, come in Jesus and come in Lord, we'll rebel. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff's message is crown or kill. And the challenge for us is to give everything to Jesus or to reject Him. It's not enough to simply like Him. Here's what Tim Keller says, and I've quoted him a few times because I have to give some credit here. This book that he's written and some of the things that he's talked on this passage are powerful. He says this, this is a parable. It's not a parable, it's a story, but within the story you have metaphor. This is a parable of the lifelong mismatch between what you want and what God is providing. When Jesus rides into town, they want what? A thundering Messiah. Free us from the Romans. What they get is a suffering servant and they're not happy about it. So 10 days later, kill him. But you do the same in your life and so do I. Unless you've made him the Lord of your life. And sometimes it won't come out until years. Sometimes somebody that you thought was a Christ follower, years down, and then suddenly they'll walk away. And they'll walk away because, well, you know, I tried the God way and, you know, doesn't work. I had a lot of bad things still happen in my life. Imagine saying that to Indian pastors who are willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. That as they're dying, because they took the gospel into all the world, and Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Imagine those Indian pastors. I'm dying. I don't think I can believe anymore. You got the wrong God. It's one that you've made in your own image. The God of the Bible does require an enormous amount from you, but whatever you lose in this life, he replaces to an infinitely greater degree in the world to come. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. When you come and you ask, he hears. But if you know all that he knows, you would have asked for the thing that he's going to give you. And that's what it is to trust in a sovereign God. When you get this in your life, your peace is going to be off the charts. Now, it's been a while since I've talked about my anxiety attacks, so that earns me the right to mention them for a second. When I went through those two years of a living hell, I prayed that God would take them away. Now, looking back, I went to Dr. Lindheimer. I still go for a four-month checkup. And he sit back, you know, he's 70 years old, one of the top five psychiatrists in the nation, basically, UCLA grad. He's making little notes. He says, so you've still not had any more anxiety attacks? No. How long did you have them again? Two years. And you've not had any more? Uh, I'm about to have one. <laughs> I say, sometimes it feels like, but they never eventuate. He goes, Really? No, not even one. No. Now, I want to say to him that God healed me. But scientists have difficulty with that. But let me tell you how God healed me. I wanted God to remove my anxiety disorder. He wanted to remove 
my ultimate anxiety of fear of death. But in order to remove the ultimate anxiety that I had for fear of death, I had to go through temporary anxiety to show me that he's large and in charge. Remember what I told you when I would run, I would say, God determines who lives and dies. I had to make my peace with it. And when I told Dr. Lindenheimer that, he says, that's why you don't have him anymore. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they feed off fear. You've lost the fear of death. And so if you lose the fear of death, when they start happening, your mind shuts it down. Mind is a powerful thing. And I said, well, don't tell me too much. You'll get too technical. All I can tell you is when they start to come, I laugh. You know, they're terrible, aren't they? I mean, they're terrible. But I start doing that, and I think, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the worst can happen here? That's it. I'm not going to die. And then something clicks in my brain that stops it. God gave me much more than freedom from anxiety. And I did not realize until I went through that, that I actually had a fear of death. How could a pastor have a fear of death? I can't explain. I don't think it was so much dying like Woody Allen. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I think it's more, I think it's more of leaving family behind, but God showed me, I can take care of your family. I'm a big God. When you really make God, make Christ Lord of your life, you know what's going to happen? Peace is off the charts. All right, I got I to gotta quickly do this. Here's what we said. Face to face, crown me or kill me. Side by side, I'll walk with you. Let's listen to this passage quickly. Psalm 94, 14, for the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Wait a minute. He won't reject his people. He will not forsake his inheritance. What? We're in his inheritance. And he won't reject us. Why? How much will a son and daughter be willing to tolerate if they know they're going to inherit $100 million from their father? What will they put up with? Sure, dad, whatever you want. You want me to be a Republican? Sure, I'll sign up. Democrats, sure, I'll do that too. Uh, you want me to do, yeah, whatever. Because you know when you die, $100 million is coming my way. This passage is trying to tell you that you are Jesus' inheritance. And because you are, he'll put up with so much to get you. And he wants side by side. But those promises that he gives you only applies when you make him both Savior and Lord. When you say, come in Jesus, come in Christ. You're the master of the universe. Save me from my sins, but you own me now, God. I want to follow. When you do both, the promises are off the charts. Now, because I'm out of time, I'm going to have to do this right off the cuff, okay? Here's the most beautiful part of that story. The fact that Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. Why? Well, it's a colt. It's a baby donkey. And it's not been trained. D.A. Carson, again, one of the greatest theologians, talks about this is the most powerful metaphor of the triumphal entry. Because what is Jesus saying? I can ride this donkey. I don't need to break the donkey because I'm its master. And this master will submit to me. Or this donkey, rather, will submit to its master. The imagery is that when Jesus rides in, he's trying to show you and me that one day, one day, all of nature is going to submit to him. And that all of those who have put their faith and trust and said, come in Jesus, come in Christ, come in Savior, come in Lord. According to Romans 8, the creation cries out to be liberated. The creation complains to God right now. It says, wait a minute. We're bound. We're tied. We like your creation. We like your people. We want to cooperate completely with them. We want to... We want to 
be able to serve them in the way we were originally meant to, to serve. But right now, we can kill them. They can get lost in the mountains. They can drown in the ocean. We don't like this. And then the Bible says, the pain and suffering that we experience here can no way be compared, compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And part of that glory is that the creation, the created order, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and released in the glorious freedom of the children of God, which means that it will fully cooperate with us. It'll be in total harmony, which means we can swim in the ocean and not have to come up with air. I don't know what all it means, and I like to meander, but I can tell you, heaven is not some eerie, fairy place. According to Scripture, heaven, you're sitting on it right now. It's the renewed, restored, created order. So that right now you get a little deposit of how good life can be. But in heaven, imagine all the creation without the impact of sin. And when Jesus rides the donkey, he says, one day everything will submit to me. That's why in Psalm it says, one day the trees will what? Clap their hands. These palm branches, what's going on? What, what's, the signal, what's the signal? What's the metaphor? One day. Creation is going to say, way, woo, we can do what we always meant to do, and the trees are going to sing. I don't know what their voices are like, and the, 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 the fields, the flowers in the fields, and the, the, the palm branches. Yay, God, whoa, whoa, this is fantastic. Let me read to you, in, in bad way of ending, what D.A. Carson says about this passage, okay? He says this. First part, just listen. He says, humanly speaking, no one could just jump on an animal and ride it through the large crowd. In the midst of all this, an excited crowd, an unbroken young animal remains totally calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature and stills the storm. Therefore, this event points to the peace of the consummated kingdom. And then listen how he finishes it. Jesus did not have to break the animal. He's the Lord of nature. He is Lord of all. And under his hand, nothing but harmony and peace comes out. The animal loves and knows its true master for who he is. This is a foreshadowing of the healing and restoration of all nature under the future kingship of Christ, as it is written in Isaiah 11, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the goat, the calf, the lion, and the yearling together, and a little child shall lead them all. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, I love it, Jesus comes right into Jerusalem. Crown me or kill me, which one are you going to do? <coughs> But for those of you who crown me, I'll never leave you. You're my inheritance. And one day, the deepest desires of your heart are going to become a reality when I make nature subject and they're liberated into the glorious freedom of the children of God. If you make him Lord, the promises are off the charts. But sooner or later, you've got to ask, have you crowned him and made him king? Or have you lived in a distant land as though he were dead? Only one of two options. Choose well. Father, thank you for your love for us, for the power of Matthew 21, the triumphal entry. I pray right now in Christ's name, you would open our eyes to where we truly are with you. We know that we can never be perfect, but we know also that you require us to have intentions about serving, about doing the good. Not that we could ever be saved by good works. We got that. We're saved by grace through faith. But we also know that when the Spirit of God comes inside us, when we truly said, Jesus, come in, Savior, come in, Lord, that there's a new passion and desire in us to follow and obey your commands. Even though we may fail, even though we may falter, we know your grace is there to deliver us. Save us. Save us and change us as we follow your command in Christ's name.
Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That was Crown or Kill, a great challenge for us to not simply pay lip service to Jesus, but to trust Him with our whole lives. At our website, vision.org.au, you can find more messages and information from Pastor Jeff. Just search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.